Everybody, welcome to episode 173 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to continue my run through season two of Superboy, the Alexander Salkine produced television show, which aired in syndication from 1988 until 1992. I'll be covering episodes nine and ten of the second season, titled "Programmed for Death" and "Superboy's Deadly Touch." Well, before I get into the business of this week's episodes, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 162, in which I talked about the series' first two-parter, Revenge of the Alien. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Revenge of the Alien, parts one and two, made for a good story. I enjoyed the continuity and callbacks to Mike Carlin and Andy Helford's previous episodes, and these episodes dealt with some ideas that I've always enjoyed in more than one version of Superman. That Clark doesn't really know where he came from and who he really is, and doesn't fully know the source or the extent of his powers or weaknesses. I like that. When he's talking to Professor Peterson, thank God they didn't name him Professor Potter or Professor Periwinkle, about his invulnerability, he just says, it's the way I am. He doesn't bother to try to put a name to it. It's just how he is. I also like how Professor Peterson wonders if Superboy could withstand the blast of a hydrogen bomb or cold close to absolute zero. I often wondered when I was a kid how brave Superman must have been the first time he flew into a fire or a volcano or out of the airless space. He couldn't have known beforehand that he'd be unharmed, even more brave once he found out that some green rock, harmless to ordinary humans, could weaken or kill him. He must have wondered, what other apparently innocuous thing could hurt me? I mean, does he approach some new candy bar with trepidation, thinking, could this be it for me? Probably not, of course, since what makes him Superman, besides his powers, is his adventurous spirit, and willingness to help others, no matter the cost to himself. I, too, like the idea that Kryptonite is not given that name, because why would it? No one knows about Krypton at this point. I remember that on Smallville, it was just called Meteor Rock for the longest time, which makes sense, but since most viewers will know it as Kryptonite, you should probably keep referring to it that way. I did find Stuart Whitman's portrayal as Creepy Kent when he was possessed by the alien to be very well done and convincing. He certainly creeped me out, especially at the end of Part 1. Speaking of creepy, I cringed when Dean Lockhart came on to Clark. Even in 1989, college faculty hitting on students was seriously inappropriate. I'm not saying such things didn't happen, but I'm a little surprised to see it on a show like this. One thing that I laughed at a little was in part one when Professor Peterson finally gets a sample from Superboy with the help of the kryptonite ray. He tells Superboy he expects to have the results in a day. How in the world does he know how long it will take since he really has no idea what he's looking at? Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh, just some uh, notes on Dave's letter. I might have a couple things to add to what uh, Dave says. Yes, I do enjoy the mystery of Clark not knowing where he came from as something that, while not really addressed too much, is something that's consistent through uh, the series to one extent or another. And uh, as far as Dave's note about... Uh, being happy that Professor Peterson wasn't named uh, Professor Potter or Professor Periwinkle. I do think the show missed out on, on an opportunity to use at least one of those names in the Hollywood episode where that mad scientist whose name is escaping me at this point, Dr. Zugar or something like that. I definitely think he could have been a Professor Potter or a Professor Periwinkle type. And I haven't read a ton of the uh, Silver and Bronze Age Superboy comics, but... If uh, Professor uh, Periwinkle is a nod to the George Reeves show's uh, Professor Pepperwinkle, I uh, and would definitely be glad to see that the invention worked. Whereas Clark says in All That Glitters, Well, I can vouch for the professor, gentlemen. While he's invented some strange things in the past, they've always worked. And I've never known him to tell a falsehood. But yeah, as far as his invulnerability, uh, yeah, Superboy has no explanation for how he is. So it's just what he's used to and... Uh, so that's kind of how it is. It's what he's used to. It's how it is. And yeah, Professor Peterson, whenever we see him, is ever the scientist uh, trying to test the limits of uh, 
Superboy's abilities. And there was one episode. I don't remember which one it was offhand, but it just seemed as though uh, Professor Peterson's incessant curiosity is kind of exhausting for Superboy. It might have even been this episode, one of these two parts. But while you would think Superboy would want to know the extent of his abilities, I can't see how the professor's constant theorizing and wanting to perform tests could be exhausting. And as far as bravery, I mean, I would think that like a, a lot of the things that maybe not bullets, for instance, but uh, or flying into airless space. But I can imagine a lot of stuff Superboy would discover about his invulnerability just kind of happens by accident. You know, is he thrown from a tractor or something and he's not hurt and things like that. But, yeah, it is always amusing that the most powerful person in the world can be brought down by an innocuous rock. Now. I don't necessarily think he would approach a new candy bar with trepidation because it is well established in everything Superman that I've read, maybe a little bit less so now, that nothing of Earth could hurt him. So I think he'd pretty much know that a candy bar could not. But, you know, I don't think having the uh, the newest Hershey's bar would uh, cause Superboy any trepidation. I've already talked about everything I needed to say about the naming of Kryptonite in the Metallo episode a couple weeks back. So... There's really no need to rehash that. As of the Metallo episode, it is being named Kryptonite, and that's going to become pretty well-known. And I agree with Dave that even though Creepy Pot Kent was very uh, creepy, it was well done, well acted, and uh, yeah, I cringed when Dean Lockhart seemed to come on to Clark, but again, like so many other things in this show, it's kind of a one and done. And this is the only two parts where we see Dean Lockhart. There was that other woman who looked a lot like Dean Lockhart, but was a different actress and was uh, called Professor Meyer. But yeah, this is the only time we see Dean Lockhart. Maybe she got fired after this episode. Who knows? But it's almost rendered it pointless because she's gone. And yes, it is seriously inappropriate. Sometimes I think some of those serious things on this show are just kind of played as a throwaway gag. And uh, yes, how would Professor Peterson know how long it takes to analyze whatever it is he was analyzing? Maybe he just knows how long his scientific process takes. And maybe he's going to uh, expedite the process. Really the only explanation I've got for that. So that's all I've got on feedback. Uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you want to join in on Have Your Voice Heard, man the screen at gmail.com or put a post on the episode posting in either the Man the Screen podcast Facebook group or the posting in the Two True Freaks podcast group. Or you can leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I make sure to read all of those when they come in as well. So now if I'm going to take a quick break and play a podcast promo. And when I come back, I'm going to talk programmed for death. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier.
All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to lead things off with Programs for Death. This is episode nine of season two, original broadcast date, December 2nd, 1989. This episode was directed by David Nutter, and it was written by Carrie Bates. Guest cast includes George Maharis as Jack McAllister, Bryce Ward as the detective, Eric Whitmore as the cop, Fred Ottaviano as the security guard, and our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. During the night hours, Andy receives a phone call from someone wanting to see him. When he goes to meet who he thinks is his father, he, he enters the back of a van where, where the call came and is faced with a robot with the voice of his father. The robot shoots Andy with a dart, and he passes out. On the Schuster campus, Clark and Lana are walking when Andy's real father, Jack McAllister, approaches them. Yo, uh, uh, could I have a moment? Yes, you're, you're Kent, aren't you? The, the student who's always studying, and, and you're Lana, the girl who's got the thing for the Superboy. Um, excuse me, what, should we know you? The name is uh, McAllister. Jack McAllister? Hello. You're Andy's father, right? <laughs> Give a big cigar to the little lady. Did you ever think about going into modeling? Andy didn't tell us you were coming. Well, Andrew didn't know. You see, we sort of lost touch a few years ago uh, after I was, uh, well, how should I put it? Sent up? Sent up? He means after you went to jail. Is he, I... Uh, I had some gambling debts. Uh, I got in a little deep, so I ran this embezzling scam to pay off the 200000 But before I could pay it off, I got caught. No big thing. Anyway, after the kid's mother died, he, he went to live with his uncle. He raised him while I was in the slammer. When I got out, he showed me Andrew's letters, so I've read quite a bit about you two. Mr. McAllister, we'd love to help you find Andy, but... He didn't come home last night. Yeah, you know, he's not the easiest person to keep track of sometimes. Sounds a lot like his old man. It overhears Jack telling Clark to get an urgent message to Superboy and to meet him later in the day. The robot drives over to a power transformer and, su and surges power into town. Meanwhile, Clark enters the phone booth, changes to Superboy, and heads out to meet Jack. The power surge reaches the building and explodes a power box on the roof, sending a man falling to the ground below. Superboy spots the emergency and saves the man. This diversion buys the robot enough time to catch up to Jack and blackmail him. Superboy stood you up. Man, it's not the end of the world. At least you and I still have each other. Get in, Jack, or you'll never make peace with your son. I have Andrew. Get in. Superboy arrives at the meeting place to find that Jack isn't there. Across town, the robot breaks into a new power plant, stating that this is the place where Jack will die. Look at him. The first machine on Earth to think like a human being. That's what he said. He said this machine would blow the lid off the entire computer industry. But why'd he choose you? This in-home test and sort of a psychological profiler. I paid a shrink to give me the best answers. So you let this quack plug his midget Frankenstein into your brain night after night. Dad, didn't you wonder, didn't you ever think what, what you were getting into? I had my own problems. I, I needed the money. Dad, wake up. When are you going to learn? This thing is your problem. It thinks like you, it talks like you, and now it's trying to tap into the city's power? Someone's going to get hurt. We have to shut it down. <laughs> Didn't your father tell you I have already killed? He watched me kill my creator. And now that I've tapped into unlimited amounts of energy, I am ready to kill again. In town, Superboy visits the police station to get information on Jack. Parole violations are the least of Jack McAllister's problems. He's wanted for questioning and a murder. A murder? Who's the victim? Some computer genius, Heinrich Gibbs. Neighbors say he spent a lot of his time in his garage working on some kind of experimental computer. Jack McAllister was seen leaving there just hours before the body was found. Wait a minute. This says something about a van loaded with state-of-the-art computer equipment. Both it and the computer are missing. 
Police upstate think that McAllister used the van to make his getaway. What's going on? Excuse me. What's with the lights? It's happening all over the city, sir. Some sort of drain from the new substation. Isn't that the new power plant that's run totally by computer? You got it. Excuse me. Back at the power plant, Jack tries to attack the robot, but is shocked and knocked unconscious. Jack is about to risk cutting Andy free from the robot's leash, and then Superboy arrives. Superboy figures out that the robot killed the man that created him, not Jack. When Superboy tries to shut the robot down, he sends 20 million volts of electricity through him. While he struggles in agony, Jack cuts Andy's leash, and this provokes the robot, and he zaps Jack with a bolt of electricity. Andy tries to help him as he lay unconscious. The robot is shocked to see that Superboy isn't dead. Superboy musters up enough strength to send the, the electricity up the leash that was attached to Andy, and it explodes. Jack apologizes for getting Superboy caught in the middle of his ordeal. Later on in town... Then, where we lost your mother. I couldn't be there for you because, well, I had to go away and, and do my time. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's not saying anything against your Uncle Bob. Dad, oh. what are you saying here? All right, uh, cards on the table time? Yeah. Well, uh, I know I haven't been much of a father, and... I feel awful about not being there for you. I'd like to change that, starting now. If that's okay with you, kid? between Andy and his father. You know, you and I have really had it lucky. We've always had our parents around. Have you ever wondered about Superboy? I mean, I wonder if he has parents somewhere out there. So this episode is going to be a vehicle for us to learn a little bit about Andy McAllister, Clark's uh, new roommate as of the beginning of this season. And we don't really learn a ton about Andy here. We learn that pretty much the apple doesn't uh, fall far from the tree. Jack was a bit of a schemer and he got in with the wrong people, wound up in jail for a little while, uh, 10 years, I believe it was. And you can see a little bit of that con artist risk taking personality in andy as well you know it's the kind of thing where if andy borrowed money from one of his business ventures from the wrong people that he could very easily end up in the same kind of situation as jack i mean andy is not necessarily shown to be the most scrupulous of uh, business people but as far as this episode goes uh, it starts off with a phone call and uh we're meant to believe that someone's making a phone call to andy from uh this van that's uh, parked on the side of the road, and we're meant to think that it's Andy's dad. Andy has a new haircut for this episode and uh, going forward. He no longer has that uh, floppy hair that he was sporting in the first eight episodes of the season. Now it is uh, cut a little shorter and uh, styled a little more. I guess that's the best way uh, to put it as I can think of. I am not a hair critic, nor do I play one on television. So Andy is very cagey about the phone call, and... Uh, you know, he's trying to hide the fact that, not necessarily that he's on the phone, but you could tell from his body language that he's making an effort for Clark not to hear him. And it is unclear to the viewer how much of this phone call Clark hears. I would hope he's not purposely listening in on Andy's phone call. But the body language and uh, the discomfort that Andy is showing during this phone call is enough to get Clark's attention. And uh, it's not fooling Clark. He knows something's wrong. You know, Clark, in uh, typical Clark fashion, asks if he can help, but Andy kind of uh, brushes him off. I mean, I don't remember, and I watched this episode last night, so I really should remember. If So apparently there's something about Andy's father that we're meant to believe is a little bit shady. And Andy alludes to some of, some kind of shadiness in his father's past, referring to uh, basically asks who was at this time, the mob, IRS, and others, but no. He, thinking he's at the van talking to his father, he, he goes to the back and finds uh, 
some robotic equipment and uh and there actually looks to be an honest to god robot in this van you know it's got eyes and everything the black machine it's got what appears to be a small arm i mean it doesn't look very mobile i think it gets all of its mobility from the fact that it's mounted in this van and uh the robot tranquilizes him and uh speaking as though it is his father which is uh very weird and then the next day we get an older gentleman shows up on campus and clearly knows clark and lana by reputation and this is uh andy's dad jack so what we're seeing right here is that the van is not actually andy's father but there is some kind of connection that we as the viewer are not necessarily privy to at this point in the episode and uh andy's dad asks uh if lana had any thoughts about going into modeling uh like father like son almost uh I believe that was one of the first things Andy had asked Lana during the first episode of the season, which if I didn't, and I probably did talk about this during the first episode of the season, was a, a much better season premiere than the Jewel of Tetrakal was the series premiere. Let's just say that. It actually took time to introduce things instead of just, oh, here we are. Let the adventure begin. So having just met them, you know, apparently he sought them out and Andy's dad just spills his guts to Clark and Lana. And then, uh, the van is just kind of sitting there in the corner. So you're starting to see a disconnect here between Jack and the van. If Jack and the van had a true were it's weird to say if Jack and the van were in cahoots, but if Jack were working with the robot in that's controlling the van, he would know where Andy was. But it doesn't appear that Jack has any clue where Andy is. And Jack is looking for Superboy saying he witnessed a murder. And, uh, you know, that seemed to get the robot's attention. And, and now it's clear that the robot is not Andy's father and it just pretended to be Jack to lure Andy into a trap. And Andy's dad is concerned for his own safety. And uh, Lana is worried because she hasn't heard from Andy in so long that she's almost starting to worry. I guess she uh, started to miss getting hit on incessantly. So after all this, we get a phone booth change. As we see Jack waiting, Clark goes in to the booth and it's a standalone uh, freestanding phone booth. Spins Linda Carter style and comes out as Superboy. He's uh, going to do uh, quite a bit of spinning throughout the course of the show. And uh, at some point, Lois and Clark becomes the go-to method of changing. So now the robot has created an accident at the power plant. And this is very well staged. And But the show did cheat by not showing Superboy catch the worker. He falls off behind the ledge off screen. And the catch happened off screen. The worker goes down, and then up comes Superboy with the worker in his arms. So now the van is following Jack, and we don't know what yet, but the robot has something on Jack, and apparently it kidnapped Andy to uh, get the Jack. At this point, you're starting to put the connection together that maybe it has something to do with that murder that Jack says he witnessed. And at first, I thought that the robot was being controlled, but the episode makes it pretty clear that this is an autonomous robot. And... So he may have been a bad father, but he wants to cut a deal with the robot to save his son. I don't think he was a bad parent because he didn't love his son. He was a bad parent because, well, not everybody is good at it. Even people who are not good at parenting love their children. And no matter how bad a parent you are, you do not want to see your son get murdered by a killer robot. So Superboy shows up late to his meeting with Jack. And uh, instead of meeting the person he was expecting to meet, he's mobbed by a bunch of people. Necessary hazard when you're Superboy, I guess. So now everybody's at the power plant, and this is where Andy gets to watch his uh, dad and Superboy die. The robot is trying to lure them both into some kind of trap. And this van has big plans, and I do believe this is the same power plant as uh, before when it staged its accident. This robot has Andy on a leash, and uh, Jack McAllister needed the money to pay off some debts, and he allowed the scientist to basically use, uh, I guess, almost like an imprint of Jack's brainwaves or something to program the robot so the robot thinks like jack and now that it's plugged into the power plant it has a lot of energy you charge yourself it can kill again so the robot is upset that jack brought superboy into whatever is going on here jack attacked the robot not sure what he was hoping to accomplish but he gets zapped for his trouble jack is going to get zapped quite a bit in this episode so we find out when superboy goes to the police that jack is wanted for killing a computer genius called heinrich gibbs and this is the murder that Jack was talking about. And when when the lights start blinking at the police station, that draws Superboy to the, to the power station. So the pieces at this point are starting to come together. Jack didn't actually murder Heinrich Gibbs. The robot did. And at this point, Jack is smart enough 
to know that the robot isn't going to honor their deal. And he plans to set Andy free when Superboy shows up. And when Superboy shows up, the uh, robot monologues that it plans to kill him with a state-of-the-art weapons. And I knew you wouldn't waste any time finding the source of the power drain. Are you two all right? Be careful, Superboy. It's some kind of trap. So you killed Heinrich Gibbs. I had no choice. He was going to take me apart. I couldn't let anyone do that. That's why I modified myself with tailor-made weapons. And now my other half has to suffer. He's going to watch me destroy you, Superboy, and then kill his son. Why would a machine program itself to kill? You wouldn't have to ask that, Superboy, if you could imagine what it would be like to have the mind of a human and be trapped. Trapped in this. You really think you're a match for me? What's to stop me from shutting you down? About 20 million volts. Apparently, I feel trapped with a human mind and a robot's body, so... I'm not sure what it's intending to do, but it's going to send uh, 200 million volts through Superboy, and it hurts. It kind of reminds me of what happens to Superman in the uh, George Reeves episode, Crime Wave, from the end of season one. One of my favorite episodes of that show. Except in that show, we realized that Superman was putting on an act for the benefit of the criminals. Not the case this time, although Superboy, once Andy is freed by Jack who, again, gets zapped. That looks like that gives Superboy the moment he needs to break free. You know, at first he's hurt and down, but you can slowly see him coming to his feet. So you can see, even though that 20 million volts must hurt a lot, Superboy has the resolve to stand up, and it basically surprises the robot. And uh, Superboy basically says he doesn't know when to give up, which is going to be a character trait we're going to see with this version of him going forward. This Superboy surrenders for nobody. He will not back down for anything, not even to save his friends, because he's that sure that he'll be able to come out on top no matter what he does. He'll even say it to somebody. He doesn't ever give up. So Superboy is going to dive on the exposed cord. This is uh, basically part of Andy's uh, leash, and he destroys the robot with a feedback loop. Very smart. Not a fist used, used his brains, used what was available to him, and the robot explodes. And I love the use of his cape to shield Jack and Andy from the uh, shrapnel flying around. Remember, this, this is Superboy's red indestructible cape, so nothing earthly can get through it. And in the ending, a conversation, we learned that Andy's mother is dead. And now we're going to get a heart-to-heart, and Jack feels awful for not being there for Andy and uh, making him live with Uncle Bob, who I guess was okay. Andy had no real complaints about Uncle Bob. And uh, Dad wants to uh, rebuild their relationship, and... Andy agrees to it, and off they go into the end of this episode. It's good to see that they're willing to patch things up. And then the show pays no attention to its own continuity, as Lana comments to Clark that they always had their parents around. Uh, in the very first episode, The Jewel of Hetchakal, it was clear Lana and her father were estranged because he was never around. He was always away on various archaeological digs. So that is what it is, I guess. And uh, Lana takes the opportunity to wonder if Superboy has parents out there somewhere and the clark gets this uh, far away look in his eyes towards space and the episode ends because clark does not know whether he has parents out there and in this show he will never know so not bad this episode tried to shine a light on andy and dad's relationship it touches on it but it's a simple plot with the robot antagonist it's it was a fun episode to watch i enjoyed it but not one that's going to stay with me it's definitely not an episode that's going to have a lasting effect so Let's take another break, and I'll play another promo. Then we'll come back with Superboy's Deadly Touch. Hang around, folks. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see... You are about to see... Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com.
All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with Superboy's Deadly Touch. Original broadcast date was December 9th, 1989. This is episode 10 of season 2. It was directed by Kenneth Bowser, and it was written by Carrie Bates and Mark Jones. Guest cast included Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor, George Shakiris as Professor Peterson, Tracy Roberts as Darla, Ken Grant as the cop, John Robert Thompson as the governor, Barry Cutler as the government official, Janice Benson as nun number one, Kay Fry as nun number two, and Dennis Nogares as the technician. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Two nuns wait for Superboy outside their bus on the side of the road. It's actually Lex Luthor and Darla in disguise. Superboy arrives and offers to help push the bus. When Superboy positions himself in the rear of the bus, Luthor activates the device from the driver's seat, exposing Superboy to a bright yellow light that causes him to pass out. When Superboy comes to, he burns a hampering into a sign as he gets up. While talking to some nuns at the nearby church, Never had a sister Mary that ever belonged to our camp. And, and as we told you, there was a bus stolen from our parking lot, but that was two weeks ago. I'm sorry we couldn't be of more help. You've been a great help, sisters. Thank you very much. And he burns footprints into the ground as he leaves. In town, Clark meets Lana and Andy at a hot dog stand. As they talk, Clark's hearing becomes painfully sensitive. When Andy offers a soda, it boils in Clark's hand. Then the police go by, responding to a robbery at the jewelry store across the street. Gunfire between the robbers and the police distract everyone as Clark leaves the change to Superboy. In doing so, he nearly rips off his entire shirt. While trying to head off the robbers in the air, Superboy's flight power goes out of control and he overshoots the chase. He turns around and lands, leaving a crater in the ground. He then uses his super breath to stop the car, but ends up blowing it completely over. As the cop talks to Superboy, he begins to glow, and Superboy has the cop contact Professor Peterson. At least there's hide at, he's tracking Superboy on his scope. You know, if you don't quit bouncing around the way you're bouncing around, we're going to be here all night. Oh, 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 looky, looky, looky. According to my brilliant microwave tracking device, Superboy is getting stronger and hotter and more and more out of control. Lex, honey, if you don't stop moving around, you're going to have a crooked hand. <laughs> Just a little bit longer and I'm free again. No more creeping and hiding and skulking around after midnight. No more disguises. Be still. What do you think? Dignified or festive? Lex, give me a break here. Well, I'm gonna meet the governor. I don't want to offend his sensibility. Ow! You did that on purpose. Well, you can't say that I didn't warn you. And after my emancipation ceremony, I'm gonna walk right up to Superboy and say, hey, I'm a murderer and a thief. And now, thanks to you, I'm free as a bird. Much obliged. Ow! At a nuclear power plant, Superboy, wearing protective gloves, is under observation. His temperature is increasing due to exposure to a high dose of solar energy. At Luthor's, he has tricks and treats for Darla. At the plant, Lana and Andy visit. You never find Clark when we need him. Hi. Hi. We came as soon as we heard. Yeah, we, uh, we just wanted to say, you know, hang in there. How you feeling? Well, I felt better. This isn't gonna last forever, is it? I mean, they're gonna figure out a way to get you back to normal, right? I hope so. They're, they're not saying anything. How did this happen? I'm not really sure. This machine seemed to have infused me with an enormous amount of energy. And we're not sure how much stronger I'm gonna get. We've got the best scientists available working on it. And Professor Peterson's doing the best he can. We've just got to have hope. Well, who did this to you? I don't know. While they talk, Superboy's heat vision goes out of control and destroys the con control panel. Now he has to wear a lead helmet. Luthor goes to visit Superboy. Well, well, well. I see they've given you the deluxe accommodations. Who is it? Take a wild guess. Lex Luthor. Right! Now, are you going to take the cash or go for the convertible? I don't understand. Well, I had a little time in my hands. Thought I'd drop in and entertain you. I'm just a singing fool. I've come 
sing for you. Sorry, is the super hearing a little sensitive this morning? Oh, I forgot! Stop, Uldor! Make me. Come on, touch me, Superboy. Touch me, I dare you. Oh, but that would kill me, and we all know Superboy doesn't believe in taking human lives. Is he so good? Come on, Superboy, touch me. Give me five, I dare you. Double dare. You're sick, Luthor. What are you doing here? <laughs> I don't believe it. The boy of steel backing away from little old me. What do you want from me? I just want to help. You see, I'm the one that did this to you, and I can undo it. How are you going to do that? That's for me to know and you to find out. But let's just say, a flick of a switch, and you'll be right back to normal. Easy as pie. And what's in it for you? My freedom. I'm sick of being a fugitive. I want a full pardon from the governor. Not a chance, Luthor. The governor will never agree to that. Well, maybe if you ask him real nice. Say please. Get out, Luthor. I wouldn't be too hasty, Superboy. You know your condition is going to get worse and worse and worse. I guess I gotta run. And as Luthor continues to aggravate him, his heat vision goes out of control and damages more of the plant, prompting Luthor's exit. Later, the governor tells Superboy that he's giving in to Luthor's demands for the pardon, but requests his presence during the signing. Peterson tells Superboy they'll use a classic method of draining his excess en of energy by using plutonium rods, but is unsure of the results. At the governor's mansion, Luthor arrives expecting fanfare. Ta-da! <laughs> no, please, please, hold the applause. You're too kind, you're too kind. Greetings, governor! Hey, buddy, where's the red carpet? I hate doing this, Luther. This is blackmail, you know? Yes, well... You're a politician, isn't that business as usual? The lawyers went over the document, and if you restore Superboy to normal, I'll grant you a full pardon. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, where's our sick soupy? Hmm? He's on his way. Hey, look, it's getting close to the deadline. If he decides not to show, I still get my pardon. That's part of the bargain. He'll be here. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Superboy, I love the new look. Tell me who's your tailor. Can we get on with this? Oh, sure. You just grab the back of the bumper, I zap you with a reverse charge, and everything will be back to normal, except I will be free as a spring breeze. You see, it's a beautiful deal. Everybody gets what they want. Sounds great. Let's shake on it. <laughs> now that's funny. Come on, Luthor, shake. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Let's cut the comedy and get down to business, okay? No handshake, no deal. Hey, back off, Frankenstein. What, you think I'm nuts at you? You're trying to kill me? You hey! You're a policeman! Do something! Superboy stops him and tells him how he was cured. No, 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 please, 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 don't touch me. No, 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 no. Chill out, Thor. You didn't... I'm not... What happened? My theory proved to be correct. We were able to drain my excess energy with plutonium rods. And you didn't cure me, Luther, and that means you don't get pardoned. Our deal was you were to cure Superboy, Luther. Seeing as how you didn't, our officers will take you into custody. You can't do that. It's not fair! 
It's not fair! It's not fair! It's not fair! It's not fair! It's not fair! A robot! I should have known! Luther tricked us. You win this time, Luther. But there will be a next time. I was that close to freedom. Damn that super boy! Well, Lex, honey, it almost worked. Almost. He was right about one thing, There will be a next time. All right, my very first thought when I saw the very first shot of this episode, I watched the episodes back to back usually, and before the pixels on the DC Universe app even cleared, I knew that was Lex Luthor dressed as a nun. And Superboy shows up to help the distressed nuns, and I will be quite honest, I cannot believe he is fooled by this. There have to be a million ways for Superboy to suss this out with his abilities i just i can't believe he doesn't recognize lex luthor because he's wearing a habit really and i i guess you know in order for this episode to work superboy has to be fooled here but this act should not have fooled him so superboy's gonna help them by pushing the bus lex hit the button and the yellow glow emerges from the back of the bus oh by the way nobody else is actually on this bus either so there's that whole bunch of things wrong with this picture Superboy spotted none of them. So, a yellow glow emerges from the back of the bus, and Superboy is knocked out. He's not dead, but apparently Lex has a plan for whatever he just did to Superboy. So, the next thing we learn is Superboy is uh, questioning uh, some other nuns at the camp, and we learn that the bus was stolen from the sister's parking lot a few weeks ago. And it is clear that something is up because Superboy is physically hot. Uh, when he got up, he uh, burned his handprint into a sign on the side of the road, and... Uh, he burns the pavement here when he walks. So now I go back to Schuster, and I hear Alana and Andy getting hot dogs. Apparently, Clark is uh, 15 minutes late, and Andy is uh, mocking Clark's lame excuses. So apparently, they're used to this by now. Clark disappearing at a moment's notice or showing up late with some story. It is a thing as timeless as Superman, and a TV show really gives you the opportunity to see some of the Lame excuses Clark has to make make to get away. Lois and Clark will play this to the hilt during season two because uh, Superman would uh, wreak a lot of havoc with a Clark-Lois relationship. In the movies, you don't see this nearly as much because he only changes to Superman three or four times. The only uh, lame excuse I even remember is the end of Superman 3 when Clark says he has errands to run before lunch, which is a pretty innocuous comment. So apparently uh, when they talk, Clark's hearing is out of control because... They talk at a normal volume, and it's just ear-splitting to Clark. Like, his super hearing is out of control, and uh, Andy uh, hands Clark his drink. I assume it's a soda or something. You know, maybe to help Clark with his headache a little bit because it's cold, and it boils in his hand and starts to bubble. So, here is a jewelry robbery, and uh, Clark tried a shirt rip and literally ripped his shirt into pieces. And I love the uh, look of shock. And so... Yeah, it is literally a shirt rip. He tore the shirt into at least four pieces. So his powers are out of control. His speed is out of control as when he's flying, he overshoots the car, doubles back, causes a crater when he lands, and then he blows the car over with a super breath. It's a little bit of overkill. He knows it. The cop even mentions it, but Superboy can't figure out what the hell's going on here. So his powers are out of control. Yet, he can pull this one criminal out of the car without breaking anything. You would think if Superboy's abilities are so out of control here... And I was actually waiting for this, waiting for him to actually accidentally, you know, break this guy's shoulder or something as he handles him. But nope, he pull, Superboy pulls him out of the car as gentle as a kitten, because apparently in this moment, his powers aren't out of control. Just that one instance. If his powers are out of control, they have to be out of control all the time. The show can't pick and choose. But this is the breaking point. This is the moment where Superboy realizes something is wrong. This At this point, he can't ignore it anymore. Not 100% sure he noticed how hot he was, but between the shirt and the soda and overshooting the car and blowing it over, when he clearly didn't intend to deploy that much wind, 
something's wrong, and he knows it. And then to put an exclamation point on the fact that something's wrong, he starts glowing, and he asks for Professor Peterson, and once again, the school is referred to as Schuster College and not Schuster University. So so Darla is apparently also a tailor, and uh, she's making a suit for Lex, who is absolutely bouncing around with the idea of being able to go out in public with uh, Superboy out of the picture. Apparently here, he's not trying to kill Superboy. The synopsis already told us his endgame is to get a pardon from the governor. And putting Superboy's powers out of control is a way to do that. His ultimate plan is to cure him. So it's a way to get all the charges against him dropped. You know, to get rid of that pesky death sentence that's hanging over him. So now we're at the power plant as uh, Professor Peterson is leading a team trying to find out what's wrong with Superboy. And apparently the room, the containment room that Superboy is in is getting hotter and hotter. And uh, Peterson uh, postulates that Superboy was doused with solar energy, which have made his powers go out of control. Apparently he's too powerful and almost sun drunk in a way. The comics did a storyline which explored uh, ex-Superman's powers going out of control in the early 90s, shortly after the death and return of Superman. It was actually the return of Superman story that kind of triggered this with the way the Eradicator restored Superman's powers. It altered something and made him just collect power and power and power, and eventually he grew into monstrous size. That's not going to happen here, but it made Superman immensely powerful, so powerful that he couldn't safely be around people, kind of like here, and they, in that episode, used the parasite to drain his uh, excess energy. So it's good to see Leo's not forgotten, as apparently Lex has a Leo skull here on top of a zebra print shirt, and Lex has an interesting sense of humor, giving Darla a spider in a ring box. Lex thinks it's hysterical. Darla doesn't. I don't think I would either. And again, Sherman Howard hams this up, and in the hands of a lesser actor, this probably wouldn't be very good, but I don't know if it's just my nostalgia for the show and his performance as Luthor or the fact that Sherman Howard does this well is I like it. And this relationship is kind of interesting. You know, after the spider, he, he gives her a diamond necklace. And I love the comment because she thought the box was a little bit longer. She asked, after the incident with the spider, she's like, oh, what is this, a snake? And I guess she doesn't like those either. I don't know anyone who does personally. About a week or so ago, we had a snake in the garage and uh, haven't seen it in about a week or two. At this point, so hopefully it's gone. We didn't really care for having him in there either. So they're making out, and Lex put the spider, I'm guessing, in her hair, and uh, she screamed off camera. All you really saw was Lex reaching for the spider in the box. So Lana and Andy are now worried, and it's clear Superboy was fooled by Lex's non-disguise because he has no idea who did this to him. And wow, I just can't believe that he didn't see through Lex's non-disguise. That's all. So now things go from bad to worse for Superboy when the heat vision goes out of control, which destroys some equipment. But it is nice that Superboy is retaining his sense of humor throughout all this. and But he is concerned that he will not have enough time to kick this. I mean, is he expecting that he might explode or something if he gets too powerful? I'm not sure what his uh, rationale for, the, for saying that is, but, you know, he is uh, very concerned. And now with his heat vision out of control, he's got lead gloves on his hands, big ugly lead helmet on his eyes. It's just quite the contraption. And uh, as Lex is preparing to go uh, see Superboy to gloat, Darla gets back uh, at him with the spider. It's clear from the earlier scene that Lex isn't afraid of the spider, but just seeing it where he was not expecting was enough to uh, give him a little jump. So it's nice to see Darla get a little bit of a shot at Lex there. So now Lex has come to visit Superboy to gloat and to uh, make a deal and an offer that Superboy can't refuse. And again, Sherman Howard hams this up and it's great. So basically what Lex wants is a full pardon and Superboy refuses. Again, what we saw in the previous episode, Superboy is not giving up. He's not going to give in to Lex because it will help him. And my one thought, because I thought this was, at first I thought this was late at night and maybe everybody had gone home. But nope, the power plant is still uh, completely staffed and Lex just walks out. So it makes me kind of wonder how Luthor got in there with nobody realizing it. But small potatoes, I guess. So because Superboy is out of commission, the governor is going to give in to Luthor's demands. He's basically doing this to save Superboy. And this would be against Superboy's wishes. Superboy showed in the scene with Luthor that he would not want to be saved if it got Lex a pardon. But part of the offer Lex made to the governor was that he would cure Superboy in exchange for a pardon. Although Superboy could just turn around and say Lex had done it to him. So I'm not sure 
how telling Superboy who had done this to him benefits Lex in any way. But I guess we didn't think uh, that far ahead. So Peterson comes up with a method of using plutonium to fix Superboy's condition. So now we go to the governor's mansion. Superboy shows up with his lead mittens and helmet. Lex is there. The governor is there. All the players are in place. And Superboy wants to shake on the deal and takes his glove off. Now, I didn't see that coming. And Luther freaks out because he knows that Superboy's powers are out of control. And through this exchange, we discover not only has Lex hedged his bets by sending a robot version of himself to the governor's mansion because Superboy kind of threw it against the bus and made it malfunction. And we learn that since even though Luthor signed the pardon, since he didn't cure Superboy, he doesn't get it. So back to uh, prison for Lex or back to uh, being a fugitive for Lex. And there is a big clue before all that happened that Superboy was cured. I mean, obviously taking his gloves off was a pretty big uh, indicator. But when he landed in front of perfectly in front of the bus and didn't disturb the ground or set anything on fire, that was a pretty good indicator as well. But we didn't see Superboy get cured. We just kind of learned that he was. No pardon for Lex, and I like how Superboy turned the tables on Luthor, and we get a nice Luthor temper tantrum as he's pissed that he still has to hide. And that was a pretty good episode. I enjoyed seeing Superboy uh, taking down a peg and having to overcome. You know, you don't always want your, your hero stuck in a glass containment room for the entire episode, but when you could turn it over to somebody like uh, Sherman Howard to carry the episode in Draw Christopher Stead, it works. And... I'm pretty sure that there are no bad Sherman Howard appearances in this show. Scott Wells had four appearances as Lex Luthor. Three of them were terrible, with the exception of the last one. They had finally gotten it right in the final episode of season one. But that's it for this week. Next time, we're going to finish 1989 with The Power of Evil and Superboy Rest in Peace. Until then, if you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Mana Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Mana Screencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Mana Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.